This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the first Sunday of April. It's April 6, 2014. And for a change, we've had some nice weather here in New York. Um, we're on at 6 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. Today we're live from our New York offices, and we're going to have a really interesting uh, t- topic for you today. Um, we're calling the show Program or Perish, but uh, that's a kickoff on uh, university saying uh, Publisher Perish. But really we're going to talk to you about programming, what it's all about, and why you may be interested in doing it. Whether you're a student now, uh, you know, you could be in elementary school, high school, college, uh, been working for a couple of years, been working for a lot of years. Programming may be something you want to do for a lot of reasons, and our guest, Mark Lassoff, is going to tell you about that. I'm Tom Diori. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated, and together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you with a review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with a new stride report, which will contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry. And um, if you wish to to consider a topic for a future show, you can send your questions or suggestions to techtalk at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277 5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll free at 1 866 536 You can send email questions to whether during the show or anytime to that email address I just gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. Uh, and we'll get back to you uh, really fast. We monitor that regularly. And we're also being simulcast on the web. So if you can't. Uh, Get to your radio, but you have to listen to us live. You can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to uh, listen to today's show again or any of our previous shows, go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right hand button is a tech. In the upper right hand corner is a tech talk button. Click on that. All the shows are archived. You can download them, send them to your friends, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so take advantage of that. Call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. Now, uh, our Week in Review is our first segment. It's compiled by Dan Dioria, Jose Batista, and David Brandon. We have a lot of uh, stuff to tell you about. And uh, one of the things we want to tell you about is... Uh, Something that's uh, local to Phoenix, it's the Sky Song, is an offshoot of uh, Arizona State University College in Phoenix, and they have uh, an incubator that attracts angel, angel investors to develop their ideas, 
and they're having a conference on April 17th. You should really go to this website and take a look at it. It's pretty impressive. It's it's a cutting-edge companies from around the world come together in an environment designed to foster collaboration and growth. It's a $1.2 million square foot mixed-use project, and it's pretty good. It's commercially, uh, commercial office, office space. That's top-of-the-line office space. Uh, it's an incubator, which means you can go there to help start up a, start up a company. And they have apartments. So if you want to find out more about this and about their April 17th conference, go to their website, which is S-K-Y-S-O-N-G-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. And I think you'll be pretty impressed. And if any of those things fit into your uh, current categories of interest, I think you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. You may want to go to that conference or at least contact them and find out how you can get involved. Okay, Detroit Free Press tells us that Yahoo says it's beefed up encryption technology for several of its services, including email, their homepage, and an effort to combat attacks, surveillance that violate their users' privacy. Blog posts detailing the changes say traffic moving between Yahoo data centers is now fully encrypted, while browsing an email or Yahoo homepage will be set to the more secure HTTPS by default. Users can also view encrypted versions of other Yahoo sites, such as news and finance, and encrypted versions of its messenger service will be launched in the coming months. Yahoo has uh, more than 800 million worldwide users vowed late last year to encrypt its data centers by March 31st after reports that the United States government had been secretly infiltrating the lines that transfer information overseas. TechCrunch tells us that the e-commerce giant Amazon has delved even further into the hardware space with the launch of a long-rumored streaming media device called the Amazon Fire TV. It said that it has watched these devices sell on its platform for a long time now, so it knows what is and isn't working for customers. Well, that's pretty smart of it. Uh, Hence, its decision to try to do this better than anyone else out there by inventing and simplifying. Their approach was to try to make complexity disappear, hence the Amazon Fire TV, a sleek, tiny black box for your home theater. The console runs on special OS and has a quad-core processor, which Amazon calls best-in-class for the category. It has 2 gig of RAM, which is between twice and four times that of others on the market, and it has dual-band Wi-Fi for speedy networking. It's a little less thick than a dime is tall and has an interface that somewhat resembles Plex, if you're familiar with that media software. The platform is HTML, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that in our interview, and Android-based, which makes it easy for developers to port their apps over from the web and Google's mobile OS. Amazon says it will boost the Fire TV with original content from Amazon Studios. Okay. One of my favorite cars, uh, which uh, someday I hope to acquire. Uh, You may have been reading about uh, Tesla's problems. Um, All the dealerships out there are worried because Tesla doesn't use the typical model uh, that, you know, they have dealer showrooms. They're in malls. You know, they take over a store in a mall and handle their sales that way. So that got everybody very nervous in a lot of states said they couldn't do that, like New Jersey, for example. But Tesla Motors in New York State uh, 
have reached an agreement that will allow the automaker to avoid the potential closure of its state stores over their failure to comply with dealership laws. I don't know why they're governed by that, but as has happened elsewhere across the country. Under the agreement, Tesla will be able to continue operation of its five existing stores in the state, ones here in Westchester at the uh, mall, the, the White Plains Mall, or the Westchester Mall, which sells cars directly to consumers, but all future stores will have to comply with the new law governing car dealerships, though the specific legislation has yet to be introduced. And that just tells you how New York works. It's like the Obamacare law. Don't read it, just vote on it. So they're bound by a law which hasn't been written yet. Car dealerships have largely been seen as taking advantage of older laws banning direct vehicle sales to consumers in order to force Tesla's sales floors out of the market. Make a little nervous about this a fully electric 300-mile range car? I would think so. Instead of being against it, they should all be embracing it. Tesla has been predictably displeased with these laws. It's been banned in Texas, Arizona, Virginia, and most recently New Jersey, but it seems to have come around to bargaining for the sake of not losing them altogether. It also received a short reprieve in New Jersey uh, this last week, allowing it some additional time as lawmakers try to figure out what it's doing. Um, so we're going to see what all this is about, but uh, it's an expensive car, but it's beautiful, and uh, we did test drive it, and uh, I think it's the wave of the future. Microsoft developer form build 2014 started with a bang as Microsoft announced updates for both Windows 8 and Windows Phone 8. One might suggest that Windows 8.1 update 1 was introduced solely to cater for one big challenge that could discourage businesses and enterprises from moving away from Windows XP. That is a poor user experience when using a mouse and keyboard. Still, the preferred input peripherals in overwhelming number of organizations. It's therefore not surprised that Windows 8.1 update marks the return of the desktop. Users will now be able to boot directly to the desktop rather than the tilted or the tiled start screen. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to get to our guest, Mark Lasloff, talk to you about programming, tell you what that's all about. So we're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria, and it's the 6th of June. 6th of June, I wish. It's the 6th of April. 2014. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria. It's the 6th of April, 2014. And as I mentioned to you before the break, uh, we're going to be talking to you today about Programmer Parish. And our guest is um, Mark Lassoff, and his parents frequently claim that Mark was born to be a programmer. Mark was hard at work on his Commodore 64. Uh, okay, that's putting him in my age frame. Uh, most of you don't know what that is, but we'll ask him. Writing games in BASIC, and we'll have him tell you what that is, too. Uh, What's the programming language? Uh, today, Mark is a publisher, top technical trainer, and author, providing software, mobile, and web development training. Uh, Mark is sought after a video trainer, speaker, and host. Mark Lassoff currently works as founder of Learn to Program, Inc., a Connecticut-based company that publishes online courses that teach mobile, 
Web and Game Development. Mark, thanks uh, for taking the time. To... My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so now in that introduction, we mentioned two things that I have to bet 75% of our listeners, maybe 60%, may not have heard of. Tell our listeners what a Commodore 64 was, or still is if you have one, and what BASIC is uh, all about, before we get started here. The Commodore 64 was perhaps the home computer that changed everything going back now in the to the early 80s it was a 300 to 400 dollar machine with 64k of memory which is less than 1/100th of 1% what a typical computer has now um and that allowed you to program in the basic programming language, which is a very, very simple language that was used years and years ago, um, and also had numerous games and applications written for it. It became kind of the first home computer that was affordable and that really had and still does a very loyal following of future nerds and programmers who really just enjoyed the heck out of the machine. It hooked up to the television, um, it had either a tape drive or a disk drive to save uh, your content or to get programs and games and other things onto the computer. It was a great little machine that was, that was a lot of fun to use, and I still have one in the top of my closet uh, at, at my house. It's, it's just, I think, possibly the most important machine in the history of home computing. It really is the one that I think allowed computing to become affordable and approachable for the average person. Okay, and you're right. I mean, as and it wasn't a uh a very large thing, was it? It was pretty relatively small for the day. It it was it was the size of a large computer keyboard today and perhaps 3 or 4 inches thick. Um, it wasn't very, it wasn't small at all, but I remember at that time my father proudly bringing home the first, what he called portable computer, which weighed uh, about 25 pounds and was the size of a large piece of luggage. And you know, he claimed that was portable. The Commodore 64, which came out at the same time, was actually a lot more portable because you could hook it up to any TV. But uh, most people you know, didn't lug it, or the idea of laptops or luggables hadn't really become popularized yet. But no, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a small um, unit that could fit on a small desk in any bedroom, and, and it was just a great, great machine. Bringing, talking about it brings back very, very fond memories. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you talk about portable versus laptop. Uh, I remember I was working at, uh, I think, the city of New York at the time, running the data center, and the IBM rep, because everybody had IBM mainframes, comes in with this thing he said was a portable computer. And I looked at him, and I don't remember how much memory it had. It probably had a little bit more than the Commodore 64, uh, probably 116 or something. Uh, but uh, he said, this is the wave of the future. And I looked at him and I said, I have uh, a space bigger than most uh, warehouses with all this IBM mainframe equipment in it. Why would I ever need this? Well, that shows you how much. <laughs> that shows you my foresight on computing technology, I'll tell you. I always um, wonder when you know, I kind of take this trip down memory lane with, with other people who were 
actively computing back then, and I was 12 years old at the time, but you know, if, if, if we sound like my parents did when they were talking about how bread used to cost a nickel and ice cream was a dime. That's me. But uh, <laughs> in any case, I'm going to put you in touch with, and uh, we mentioned this in the week in review, uh, a good friend of mine uh, who happens to be up here in New York, uh, he, he lives in Virginia, uh, named Gabe Goldberg, is a writer, uh, He's currently writing for some uh, IBM publications, and he's doing a little history piece on, uh, you know, what artifacts of computing people might have. So in case you didn't hear the Week in Review, I'm going to uh, offline give you his contact information. He'd be very interested about your Commodore 64. So. Well, that sounds like fun. So, yeah. Okay, so um, let's get back to the to the program. This was a good digression, though. Um, tell us what programming is before we discuss how smart you have to be to program. What what is a programmer? What what do you? Why do you program? Who programs? Sure. Well, a program is a set of instructions that a computing device interprets to solve some type of problem. That's the most basic definition I could give you. And the idea of writing a program is to solve a problem, either small or big. So Word, as a, as a typical example, is a program that allows you to write and, to some extent, design documents on the screen and then distribute them either as digital documents or as printed documents. Um, so you could say Word is a program. Excel would be another example. And you know, without getting too esoteric, your operating system that runs on your Mac or your PC is also a program because it's a set of instructions that solves a problem. Now, at the micro level, when people first learn programming, that set of instructions can solve a problem that's pretty small and finite. I literally an hour ago was teaching a course called Programming for Absolute Beginners, and the problem we were solving was determining whether someone is eligible to vote in the United States. That's a very small problem that can be solved in a few instructions. A problem like how do people create and distribute documents that Word solves is a much more complex problem that involves millions of instructions and teams of programmers in the hundreds to solve. But a program at its basic form solves some type of problem. Are all programmers Big Bang Theory types of nerds, or can anybody be a programmer? No, we're all not like uh, Sheldon and Howard. Um, Almost anybody can learn some level of programming. It doesn't take a degree in mathematics or, you know, a real passion for technology. Um, just like anybody can solve some types of problems, and some problems are better, are more optimized or better for some types of people, most people can learn some level of programming. I think programming is part of a more modern literacy that everybody needs to understand at some level. Because, you know, we're all consumers of programs. We're all using programs every day, sometimes some of us all day. And some level of understanding how programs work is part of modern literacy. Just like you should understand a little bit of how your body works so you can talk to your doctor in an educated way. We should understand how programming works to some degree so you can interact with programs that you use on a regular basis in, in an educated way. It's part of modern literacy. And it's not 
anymore the you know nerd stereotypes that writes programs professionally. Programming is becoming an increasingly diverse, increasingly international profession that includes people that you don't see on Big Bang Theory and, you know, people who look just like, you know, your people in your community. Um, it's definitely not the exclusive territory of male, white nerds, but it's becoming increasingly a very diverse field that's accessible to people from just about any background if they decide to develop a skill set. So the guy walking down the street could be a uh, closet programmer. Um, well, hopefully he's not closeted about it. I want programmers to be loud and proud about it, to borrow from another metaphor. But, yeah, I mean, pretty much anyone can learn programming, and it's not the stereotypical nerdy type. Uh, Chris Bosch from the Miami Heat is a programmer. He has a degree in computer science. He's an advocate of programming, and he writes code himself. Now, you know, professional athletes playing basketball may be the last people you associate with programming, but he's a huge advocate for programming and computer science. Um, so it's not just, you know, people who look like uh, Bill Gates. It's people from across the spectrum who are learning programming and getting into the field because, one, it's a fascinating field. It's a great deal of fun. And, two, at the professional level, it can be very lucrative. And on that lucrative note, we're going to take a break. This is Tom DiOrio and IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. We're talking to Mark Lassoff about Program or Perish. Uh, it's the 6th of April, 2014. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. It's April 6, 2014. And uh, we're talking to Mark Lassoff about program or perish. And uh, Mark was telling us uh, what it takes to be a programmer, who's a programmer, everybody should be a programmer. And um, I, I've got a, a whole bunch of questions, and I'm trying to figure out what order to ask you them in. Um we talked about things like Excel and, and Word or programs, and that's, I guess, if you become a, a uh, professional programmer. But are people writing programs just for their own use? Absolutely. And one of the things that's popularized this is the idea of apps. People want to write apps for their mobile devices. And even, in my opinion, and others would disagree, using HTML to write a website is a version of programming. You're writing a set of instructions to determine how a website should appear within the web browser and on the screen. So people are writing programs, not just hobbyists who are very much, you know, passionate about this but may work in another profession, but people are writing programs just for fun or to augment the profession they're already in. Uh, at my company, Learn to Program, we've had, we had a student who is a psychiatrist at a hospital in Toronto who wanted to write programs so he could help better organize his department at the hospital. So he took a few of our courses at learntoprogram.tv, our website, and he was able to write programs that effectively organized his division at the hospital. 
So it, it's, it's a literacy that's important, not just for people who are professional programmers, but people who want to do it to augment part of their job. Another popular kind of profession, they aren't professional programmers, but to write a lot of programs are researchers who need to automate research that can be complex or do complex mathematics. So it's across the spectrum that people are writing programs, and some of it are doing just, some people are doing it just for fun. I have a number of students who are 13 or 14 years old who are doing it to augment the instruction they're getting in their high school or even university age students, and, and they just do it because it's a lot of fun. Do you recommend a starting programming language? This is a uh, question that in the computer science education community is debated pretty frequently. So my recommendation is actually going to be different than what you'd hear from some other experts in the field. But I recommend people start with a language called HTML. Now, HTML is not a true programming language. It's a language that allows you to mark up or arrange content that's going to be displayed either in a mobile or desktop web browser. And the reason I like people to start with it is, first of all, it's easy. You can master it and it's not very complicated, and you won't feel frustrated. And once you do, you'll be able to create web pages that look every bit as good as the ones that you visit on a daily basis. And it gets you used to the idea of writing code, correcting errors in the code, find, you know, including other people's code in your code base. So it gets you into the habits of a professional programmer. And the nice thing is you can see the result on just about any device, a laptop, computer, to an iPhone or Android phone, tablets, all can interpret HTML in their web browser. So it can be a very satisfying way to start learning programming. From there, I recommend people go on to some more complex languages like JavaScript that run inside the browser. And in my day, in our day, I'm probably older than you are, we took programming languages for a number of reasons. Either it was going to be a career, or it led to other things we were going to do in computer science. And one of the things when I taught various computer languages, one of the things that I stressed, I'm not sure it applies today, and maybe you can, you can help me out here, um, since I'm not an HTML uh, programmer, is that it taught people how to think logically, you know, put one thing in front of another, and really became useful in learning any other programming language after you learn the basic one, which in those days I was teaching Fortran. So is that a trait now that comes along with learning how to program, or is that is just learning the language, learning the language? So first of all, I'm, I'm 40 years old, so you can put me in some kind of uh, timeline and context. But, it, yeah, it, it's very much still about, as you get beyond the level of HTML, finding a problem safe space and logically solving that problem with code. So programming, as I said initially, is very much problem solving. And learning programming, even if you don't program, teaches you to logically solve problems in an organized way. And that's a skill that can transfer to almost any field, no matter what you do. So there are some um, tertiary benefits to learning programming that make you a better, better problem solver, help you become more logical, help you understand the breadth and depth of problems, and have a systematized approach to solving them. Um, that in and of itself, even if you never write another line of code after you take a programming course, is extraordinarily beneficial. Um, it's really, you know, that part of it is really education to become 
a better and you know more logical and smarter person. And programming really helps you develop those skills. Um, you know, if you've never had exposure to programming and you've never had to solve a big problem in an organized way, I'm not sure how you approach that. And my approach to solving even non-computer science, non-programming problems, is really very much informed by my programming experience because I immediately start to break problems down into their component parts and solve the little problems one at a time, hoping that you know, we'll reach a bigger solution. And I think that's true for anybody. The benefits go well beyond being able to write a program and show it to somebody on the screen. So you, you touched on something there. If you're in college and you want to become a computer scientist, you take programming courses, and even if you're in the science or engineering disciplines, you probably take programming courses too uh, to lead you toward the degree. But what happens if I've graduated or not even graduated, if I'm, you know, if I'm in the middle of a career and either I'm looking for a change or I'm looking to learn how to program, I gather that's something that... Uh, your firm Learn to Program is all about. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about an alternative to going to a, a college or a, a community college type, uh, you know, course curriculum. So first off, let me say I'm a big fan of university education. I think it makes you a smarter person. I think it makes you a more interesting, well-rounded person who's better able to function in society. Having said that, I don't think to become a developer who does the things that most developers do today, you need to go to college. In college, you take a degree called computer science, and you look at the scientific aspects of computing, from how does a microprocessor work to how does memory work, but those aren't the things that most programmers deal with day-to-day -day anymore. Most programmers deal with, for example, you know, how do I sell things via a website as a problem space? Or, um, you know, how do I give someone directions to a specific location online? And while these problems can still be complex and difficult to solve, they don't take the background of a computer scientist who's been university trained. That having been said, um, there are a number of online programs, including the one that I own and run, where people can learn to program mid-career. Uh, at learntoprogram.tv, which is our website, we offer a whole bunch of courses designed for people who've never written a line of code before. And we've taken a good, strong look at our students. We've enrolled over 100,000 people in Learn to Program courses over the last two and a half years, whether that's HTML or a more advanced language like Python or a series of courses like uh, our Certified Web Developer Program where people learn everything they need to learn to write web applications. There's a couple of trends that have emerged across our students. The first is that many of them are dissatisfied with their current career and looking for a change, like you described. Um, that's a large group. There's another group who's already in some type of related field. For example, they're working at the help desk for a technical company who want to move into programming because it's more lucrative and more interesting. And then there's a whole bunch of people who want to learn programming to augment what they already do, like the psychiatrist I described earlier. And there's a small group, and I, th I just think this is neat, and I like to brag about it, of students that we have that are older, in their late 60s, early 70s, that we have one student who's 78, 
who have retired and see programming as a really interesting way to keep their brain active and to stay engaged and to learn something new. And that's, that's a small sample of our students, but I think it's really interesting that people see programming as the kind of the ultimate, ultimate Sudoku and, and a way to keep you know, their brain really active and keep engaged with what's going on as, as they you know, move into their retirement years. I'm going to cut you off there since you're talking about, well, not quite my age group, I'm Tom DiOrio, we're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. We're talking to Mark Lassoff about uh, programming, and um, we'll talk to him about the parish part uh, shortly. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned, we're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. We're talking to Mark Lassoff about uh, programming and perishing, or perishing, I guess. Mark, I want you to just continue a little bit about what you do at Learn to Program. Um, and we were talking, uh, obviously, the uh, title of the show is Program or Perish, which is like public or publish or perish in the uh, university community. Um, but talk to us a little bit about, you've told us who's in your programs and some of the motivation uh, for the older people. Is it is it something that people that are listening to this show that wouldn't even have thought about it should at least consider and find out a little bit more about what the possibilities, what doors can open for them? I mean, is that is that a good way to look at doing this type of, of uh, additional educational aspects? Absolutely. You, our, our program is geared towards helping people become, at, at some level, uh, either web, mobile, or game developers. So we're, the people in our program generally have a goal, not all of them, of, of doing one of those things at some level, whether it's for themselves and their own company, they want a freelance or they want a professional job in the field, that varies. But going through our courses and our program also gives people a really good idea of what's possible in these fields. And we have people who've successfully taken our program, who've gone on to freelance. Uh, We have people who've gone on to teach. And we've had certainly people who've gone on and gotten entry-level jobs in the web development or mobile development field. So it's, it's the idea of the program is to bring people, again, who maybe have never written a line of code but have an interest and are willing to do the work to a point where they really can feel comfortable developing an application end-to-end that either works in a web browser or on a mobile device or even develop a, some type of game within our program. And, you know, it's, it's, well, obviously our program costs money. It's certainly nowhere near what it costs for to go back to even a community college. Our program is, is $39 a month versus you know, doing a university education, which is thousands and thousands of dollars. So we really like to, you know, it's about for us teaching people to program, making it accessible to almost anybody at that price point, and really providing them with, with good education and helping them learn the skills they need to learn to be successful in the field. And, you know, some people just want to try it out and, and take a couple of courses to learn something new, and that's great, too, because that makes them more literate about the field and makes them better consumers of 
technology, and that's a great goal as well. You, know, you don't have to want to end up being a professional, although most of our students have that as a goal, you know, to be successful within the program. Now, is it a long and tedious process? I mean, obviously, from what you said, you can tailor it uh, to what your goals are, but how much how much effort is involved in learning how to program in HTML, for example? The effort is you know the effort is, is considerable. Um, you know, it's it's you're learning new languages. Uh, you know, I, I think it's you can make a comparison to learning a foreign spoken language. You know, it takes some, some time and effort. The thing is, though, that you know, you can become productive pretty quickly as you get the first few technologies under your belt, and you can see your progress there on the screen and feel really good about moving through it. Our programs are at least partially self-paced, so you know it, how long it takes people is dependent on their motivation and the time they have in their life. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories is about a student who uh, she was a flight attendant or is a flight attendant still and wanted to get a kind of second income creating websites. She worked with a number of community organizations. She felt she was technical and thought this would be a good option for her. So she went through our program, uh, you know, on nights at her hotels in various parts of the country. She traveled with a laptop and, you know, would, would take a course, you know, do an hour here, an hour there. And, you know, in a few months, she was able to get her first paid web design, uh, you know, uh, job for her church. Um, and it you know, has, has significantly advanced from there. So it depends on the motivation that you have. Um, you know, and I, I don't want to make people believe that this is something that is, can be done without work or without commitment. It takes both of those things. But, again, it doesn't take a genius. Anybody can come in and learn the skills and be successful with it. I really want to demystify kind of the uh, aura of computer programming because with, the, with work, just about anybody can learn to do it. If you become a computer programmer, if that becomes your new career or at least a sideline career, are you just coding? Is that your whole job? No, definitely not. Coding, actually, for most programmers, is not the majority of their time. Depending on the on the on the uh, environment that you work in, your duties can include in, you communicating with the customer, creating specification documents in which you document everything that a uh, particular program should do, or documenting it after the fact, documenting what you did, communicating with graphic and designers who create the artwork that you see. Um, and if you're an independent developer and working on your own as a freelancer, your duties are going to include accounting and marketing and sales. Um, so it really depends on, on what you want to do. And as much time as you spend programming, you're going to spend as much time usually debugging and finding the errors in what you wrote. Debugging and testing is a significant amount of time to make sure your program A runs correctly and B does what you think it does. Because it's really, it's really common to release programs that have errors in them where the program runs, but it doesn't give the correct result. So as a programmer, you spend significant time in testing your programs and making sure they run correctly. Uh, I've got uh a bunch of more questions and no more time to ask you. So let me ask you this as a last question and then tell our listeners the best way to get in touch with you if they want to follow up here. But um, let's say I take HTML just to start myself in, into the programming game. 
is do you offer some path so I can find my way and, and decide what aspect of programming, if any, I want to get myself involved in? How do I decide what I want to do? I learned HTML. Maybe I don't want to just do that. I want to do something else. Is there some kind of path that you can point me on? Yeah, we lay out a kind of schedule of courses for our students based on what their goals are. So we help everyone who's one of our club members, we, we help lay out that exact path for them. Um, so, you know, if, if you have a specific set of goals, we'll certainly talk to you about those goals and set up a series of courses that you should take in order to meet those goals. And sometimes you don't discover what you want to do until you've taken a few courses and you say, wow, that really clicked, I really enjoyed that, that's what I want to do. So that's a little bit different than everybody. But some people come in like, I want to create games, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do, show me how. So if people want more information about the program, they can go to www.learntoprogram, spelled with a T-O, dot TV. They can also follow me on Twitter or contact me on Twitter at at M Lassoff, M-L-A-S-S-O-F-F as in Frank. And I'm happy to answer any questions people have if they get in touch with me. Thanks very much, Mark. I really appreciate you being on the show. As I said, we have... Uh a lot more we could have covered, and uh, I think we'll talk to one of our producers and try and get you on again uh, real soon. Thanks again. I enjoyed it. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's president, and happy birthday. She had a birthday this week. Uh, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. Taylor Redden's our producer, Matt Campagna is our executive producer. And without Robert Bomback in the KFNX production department, you wouldn't hear a word we said. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune in to Tech Talk next week at 6 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening.